Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So welcome to Face to Face. We are here today uh, for our uh, most recent and up-to-date interview with uh, a, a woman by the name of Yeva Lace from, uh, well, I'm going to let her tell you where she's from, but she's she's currently working with an organization called Unlimited Partnership. That's unlimitedpartnership.org. You can check them out on the, on the web. They're into quite a bit, actually, uh, and it looks like they focus a lot on, on microfinance. So uh, uh, Yeva, thank you for joining us today. 
Oh, hey, David. Thank you very much for having me here. It's really my pleasure. So where, where are you today? Are you in country or are you uh, back home or where, where are you calling from? Well, originally, actually, I'm from Latvia. That's okay. a small country in Northeast Europe. But currently, I'm in Germany. I'm just finishing my degree in um, master's. Yeah, it's a program called Global Studies, but it's just part of this adventure and part of the work I do for Unlimited Partnership. So, yeah. so you know what, Eva, tell me a little bit more about about who Unlimited Partnership uh, is and and maybe a little bit about how they started. I'd love to hear about the, you know, the genesis of the organization. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, actually, it's a, it's a good story because it started like three years ago. A um, friend of mine, Rosie Kern, uh, we studied together some time ago in Cyprus as exchange students, like really young girls. Uh, she contacted me and said like that, yeah, she has this great idea that why don't young graduates come together and do something for the world? And she sent this email around her contact list and um, actually quite few of us responded to that email and saying, okay, that sounds really good and what do we do? So we were brainstorming for a while what could be the ideas, what we could do together. And we come, came up with the idea we could um, do uh, a charity work and we created an NGO called Unlimited Partnership. And the core idea was that uh, some of us, th those friends uh, who have international education, will come together and work well on a voluntary basis for the next three to five years and create a project somewhere in the world and uh, apply our uh, theoretical knowledge and practice. This is how actually we started. Did you say that you are all working voluntarily for the next three to five years? Yeah, actually, that's the case. We agreed it on the day the email was sent around, and that's the case for today. Yeah, actually, none of us are getting paid for the work we do. Yeah. So how are you? Uh, how are you surviving? Are you doing other work as well at the same time, or are you you are you all working on scholarships? How how are you actually making ends meet? Mm, actually, at that time, the idea of like we didn't think much like how we're gonna arrange it, and we thought, okay, we're gonna just work for the organization part time and go on with our lives, and this will be like a side activity. But I must say, like in reality, it worked out that we had to work really a lot. All our free time, uh, weekends, holidays went into the NGO work. But yeah, basically, we carried on with our professional lives. Uh, like we graduated schools that time, and it was 2010, so basically three, three four years ago. And um, yeah, we, we, we applied for jobs, and we got our professions done, but since the first day, we continue to work voluntary, and that's the case now. That yeah, we, we work and uh, we work also for the charity. So is the hope that eventually you will be full-time employees of Unlimited Partnership, or do you do you see yourself as a volunteer uh, for a short period? Well, short period for the next couple <laughs> of years, and then and then moving on to somewhere else, or do you think you'll be with them for a long time to come? I think this is like kind of life project for us because, okay, from beginning we were like 15, 20 people, everyone was inspired, like, yes, we're going to do changes, we're going to change the world. But actually, you know, reality hit, hit us and, and majority dropped out because of this commitment. And in the end, there are like just three of us left. Um, um, that would be me and two other German girls, Rosie, who started the project, and her friend Ina. And... Yeah, I think it will be for our life because unlimited partnership is now part of us. And um, personally, I wouldn't like to get paid for the, this particular organization 
because it's more work for heart and, and something that we created this way. And sure, I mean, I will have other jobs and I will continue to do that work. But unlimited partnership will stay as it is the model. Yeah. So are you currently, that's really quite an incredible commitment on your part and your other two partners. I'm amazed that three of you have been able to to keep it going. It's I'm always uh, encouraged and affirmed when I hear of others around the world doing things that, that are, you know, motivated by their commitment and their courage and their passion. So, yeah, good for you guys. It's amazing. Um, uh, why Sierra Leone? Actually, Sarah Leon, because uh, Rosie, the, the girl who kind of sent that first email around, she was studying in London at that time and learning about civil wars. And actually, it was really sad story of like civil war of Sarah Leon. And it was one of the poorest countries that time. And we were just thinking, okay, what could we do to prevent such a situation in future? And we all realized that it will be something to do with education and children. And that this is how we started, like, okay, let's do something for kids. But then we realized that, okay, we could provide education for kids, but that doesn't help in the, for the current situation. And uh, we decided to focus on women. And, um, yeah, we, we kind of put together the education we have. And that would be from my side, economics and finance at that time. And I was working in India with another NGO and observing microfinance. And this whole idea of Muhammad Yumus uh, from Bangladesh, how he started the microfinance movement as such. And we were thinking, okay, that's, that sounds really good. And we looked at all kinds of practices from other countries and, and other NGOs. And we the, the idea was that, okay, we could do that, but we want to make it self-sustainable. Like, no matter what kind of charity we, we, we do, it should be self-sustainable in the first place. And secondly, we want to assist the people, but not to create, like, dependency from us. So that's why we thought, okay, let's do microfinance and let's do it in Sierra Leone. That this is how we started. So, so do all of you have a development background in the sense? You know, you, you you say you're finishing off your global studies program. Are you, are the other two uh, your your partners have a background in this kind of work, uh, the nonprofit sector or development of one kind or another? Oh, actually, like then we have to go a little bit back. It's like three, four years at that time. Actually, all of us were like young graduates from our first education, like bachelors or other girls had master at that time, and those were like, international relations. But as for me, I came out of pure business school that is like mainstream and like we should work in insurance companies or in banks and stuff like that. But I never liked it much, and I was lucky enough to find this like field of of globalization or or trans like sustainability and microfinance so actually unlimited partnership microfinance for that time was my first development project and also for the others like all of us were kind of new in the field but i must say uh, in these three to four years a lot of has changed and and even though the other girls they have moved more in the private sector as for me um yeah it opened the door for for all i do and and ever since Actually, yeah, I have been working a lot with development projects, and uh, yeah, it showed me a great direction. So, so tell me a little bit about why uh, you know you, you used the phrase "pure business," and you said you never really liked it that much. You know, the idea of an insurance company or a banking company. What? What? I'm really interested in that. How? <laughs> you know, you studied this one path, and it just didn't speak to you on some level. So you chose to go and change the world instead on a whole other level. I'm I'm fascinated by that. 
Well, it goes like that because like the traditional economic model that we are taught in business schools is that uh, we have to create a profit by all means and the ultimate goal of the business is profit. And uh, if you take the, 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 the graph that it shows, it, it says it's supply and demand. So we have to make sure that we produce as much as possible with the cheapest price. But it just raised me like to think like how comes and what about all other issues what about environment and so let's say if it's cheaper to produce in china then why would i have to like ship all that stuff from china if probably i could produce it at home in that time like my home country latvia but economically it would not be like profitable and i was just thinking like okay is there any other way is there something else we still could work in the system and do but um, yeah, well, that actually brings us to the next level. And I must say, um, when I was working Sally on with the microfinance, we I think we did a, a good job, and the families are really, really happy, like the the ones that we support. At the same time, I'm still always kind of thinking, okay, if we if we provide the money, are we still not creating like dependency from it? And that's why there is this new idea that we plan to kind of start. It's a social enterprise, and as personally for me. It inspired me also to write my master thesis on that. I'm, I'm looking at social enterprise and, and how the whole system is changing, you know, like how there are people in the world who feel like that it's not enough, you know, just to work for a, a company that doesn't inspire them or doesn't do something better than just making profit for one person or for, for some. And I think one way or another way, it's like this story all about, like making sense of our lives and, and working something that is useful for us and we still can earn money with that. I, um, I, my last interview was with a woman by the name of Julia Molden and she's written a book called um, Ordinary Radicals. Oh, I can't think of the title right now. I'm sorry. Uh, isn't that horrible? Um, we, it's called We Are the New Radicals. And okay. basically, it's about people like you uh, and others uh, who kind of get to a point in their life and they say, you know what, this, this isn't really satisfactory. I don't like this, what I'm doing right now. It's not feeding me. It's not providing for my sort of emotional and spiritual uh, needs. And I'm going to go and do something different with my life. And I'm going to try to make money while I do that. And I'm going to change the world while I create this you know, this new business opportunity or whatever the case might be. And it's a really fascinating book uh, just about all these wonderful stories of people, like I say, like yourself, who are, you know, kind of turning up the world upside down one one step at a time. It's really quite amazing. I love the phrase you used, Eva, uh, is there any other way? You said you asked yourself sort of the question, is there any, any other way? And I think, would you agree with me that any kind of entrepreneurial spirit has to come out of a question like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, and and that is like how these people started, and and all all of them, like I think also these radicals that you talk about, they ask this question. So how do we do that? Like, what is the way forward? But you know, I, I found it fascinating that actually a lot of people who work in the NGO world, they um, still kind of don't maybe don't recognize or can ignore a little bit this part that actually you know one part is doing an amazing job like that's that's for sure like all around the people we see all around the globe we see people who who do incredible things with with their ngos but still like what bothers a little bit me is like okay but how do they sustain themselves you know how where is the money then coming from? And and this dependency syndrome that, okay, you know, we apply for big funds and NGOs make proposals. And, and yeah, they, they do 
good work, but but somebody still pays pay for that, you know? So, I mean, that's why at least at the moment we are kind of looking at the format of social enterprise and what we could do under that. Yeah. You, uh, I, I was reading uh, one of the projects in, is it in Talu? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, it's Telu, Telu Bongo village. And, and yeah, that's a small, small town in a small actual village, like really rural village in, in a jungle. It's uh, near to um, second biggest city in Sierra Leone, Bo. And um, yeah, there are like around 2,000 uh, people living there. But we have um, 63 uh, women under our program at the moment. And each of them are, are having their little business. But uh, that would be under the microfinance. And this is, yeah, it's a like typical microfinance program in the sense that we provide small loans and they have to, uh, the women are in groups of five and they have to pay them back uh, after uh, three to six months, depending on the season, with a small interest rate and the interest rate would uh, go for the next groups, so for the next beneficiaries. But um, then we, uh, it started last year around it, I was just thinking that, you know what, we, have, we should do something else. And and actually, we, we did a small trick, you know, like we collected uh, the loans back and, and the interest rate and and we would not distribute it uh, like a bigger loan next time. We would just continue the same way. And then with the interest rate, we said, okay, um, let's start a bakery project. Because at the moment, uh, each woman can choose their own little business, what they want to do. And it has been really well. They have done good job and improved their lives and all children now go to school and that's a big accomplishment for us. But we felt like, okay, there still would be need for like a community based business, like a cooperative, something like that. And uh, so, yeah, we collected those funds and started a, a bakery project. And now all of the women are working together and uh, they're working for themselves. And all money they earn that goes immediately back to them and they, they're in charge to arrange their own way. And uh, so basically we're not providing a loan anymore. That is like a separated unit. Tell me, tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, you've got three women that are working and running in limited partnership. Mm -hmm. You say you have, you know, 63 partnerships with women in this uh, rural village of Tulu. Why the focus on women? Um, you have, uh, I mean, you know, anyone in development kind of understands that there's a gender um, disparity, to say the least, uh, in the Global South. Uh, well, frankly, in the world, never mind the Global South. Um, mm -hmm. What is it about women that that you've chosen to work with them? It was it was it a conscious decision? Has it just worked out that way? Tell tell me a little bit more about that. Okay, so as for the organization, why we're just girls? It's mainly this is how it worked out. Basically, I guess it's something to do with the commitment in general. But uh, <laughs> for the beneficiaries, for the for the Telu women, uh, yeah, from the beginning, uh, as I said, we wanted to actually focus on children, and then we thought, okay, like the best ways to empower a family, and um, so we did some some research and some field work before, like to to make sure that this. Program gonna work, and if we figured out that in places like Sierra Leone, especially in the rural setup, uh, in the families, a lot of men they they don't have the jobs exactly in the in the village. They would go outside, like in, in uh, diamond or gold mining places. So they would leave the family, and uh, yeah, it would be run by by women who stay at home, who have five to six children, who have to cook, who have to go to farms and do farming work, and take care of their families. But in the same time 
time they wouldn't have any income because they would just wait for some weeks or months, depending on the season, for their men to come back and to provide them with some income to sustain the family. So therefore we thought, okay, and, and actually that raised the biggest uh, implication that since that's the case, uh, the men come home and uh, all the money mostly goes for the food items or for basic survival. So there's not money much left for the kids uh, for school fees and to, so in order to, for them to go to school. So we thought, okay, why don't we give a small loan for the women and try to see if they can do some um, domestic, basically, work that, they could, that could bring us some income. Let's say those farming items they would uh, bring to to the nearby market and sell and and have some little cash in their hands and and hopefully with the time would develop skills to go on a bit on a bigger scale. And actually, this is exactly how it worked out. And uh, and then the next story started when the women become so powerful, like one and a half or two years time, that they start to say, you know what, now we, we can pay our school fees, we can do all our stuff, and we are not so dependent from from the men. And obviously, it has social implications there as well because of the, uh, yeah, how the families are arranged. But uh, yeah, like... Our approach from the first day was that we will not actually go there as a white girls, you know, like being smart or something and just telling what to do. So from the first day, the moment we decided to work in Sierra Leone, we were looking for local partners, basically an NGO who is working in Sierra Leone and who could be our local partners and actually do the work and help their own people and empower them. So our idea was that we could empower the local people. And we we got super, super lucky and, and uh, we are working with an organization called Hilfe Direct. It's in German translation, it's Direct Help. And it's an NGO that works in San Leon for the past 19 years now. And it's a super good match because it's run by two people who are in their late, late 60s, 70s. It's a German lady and a San Leonian man. And uh, yeah, they're like the past 20 years, they have built incredible uh, things in, uh, over there. And, and they have a school with, that they support 150 children. And they have a huge hospital. And they have a lot of scholarship programs. And they were the ones who said, okay, girls, you have amazing idea. You work for free. And, and I think we have to support you just with our local resources. And they provided us with the loan officer. And actually, they're the ones who kind of direct this relationship among the, the Telo people and, and among the women and how, the, how to arrange these things. So actually, our job is just to be quietly to back it up and to observe these wonderful stories and to advise them and to work with them. I want to I um, ask you a little bit more about partnership in a second and how important that's been to you working on the ground um, mm-hmm. But tell me a little bit more about <clears throat> about women. You made you made you made a comment there, an offhand comment about commitment in men. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I mean, as a as a teacher, uh, uh, an instructor at Humber College in Toronto, uh, one of the things I noticed here is that of the eighty five students that we typically get every year, I would say a good eighty five percent of them are women. Um, I don't, you know, there's always ten or fifteen or maybe twelve percent of the class, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen uh, men in the class. Um, and usually they're very passionate, very committed, uh, for the most part. Um, what, what are we putting our finger on here? What, I mean, do women want to change the world and men don't? I mean, you know, I mean, when you look at the stats, when you look at statistics, if you want to really affect change in a culture and a climate, I do a lot of work in Cambodia and Southeast Asia, you know, it's the women you want to empower. 
uh, and and you talk about powerful women in your communities uh, or in Talu now having this, you know, the social implications. I just wondered if you could speak a little more to that um, that gender disparity, that gender uh, implication. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, it's something to do with the global events as such. And I, I think in this century, it's, it's the case that we have a lot of technologies available and education is the most accessible to everyone that never before. I'm not saying it, it, it's the case uh, everywhere. Still, there are like a lot of huge problems all around the world, especially in Africa, that the girls don't go to school because they are not considered worth to do that. But still, uh, all around the globe, yeah, women are... Are taking charge of things in terms that they want to, to they want to get educated they want to know things they want to speak they want to to read and, and actually when it comes down down to projects like that where you have to have a lot of like patience and and putting putting like things together and saving I think women in general are good at that and that happens in Telu because you know the, the income that we create they're not big it's it's we don't talk about thousands of, of, of dollars euros or whatever it's like very little money like normally we give loan that would be around like 60 70 dollars and the return the profit they make it's like 20 30 40 it like depends but still it's like a little money for for actually for everyone but when you look at that that uh, they didn't didn't had any income before and they're able to put that little money together like month by month by month and actually what happens is that the end of the half year or year that amount is like two or three times bigger than men uh, bring in because uh, yeah as we have observed in San Leon, that's the case when when men go on, on the work, they are looking for big money, big profits, past profits. Let's make it quickly and let's do it and just like let's gather together. But the women are like, oh, it's okay, patiently, like, yeah, penny by penny together. No, I think there's something very interesting there. Um, well, it's it's certainly uh, something that's on my mind. Uh, I have both a son and a daughter. I see the differences, uh, some of them genetic, some of them uh, learned. And it just, you know, it's. A, I think it is a comment on, on where we're heading, you know, as a, as a culture, as a global culture, as we, you know, as we try to continue to make a difference. You know, where do we, where do we invest our time? Where do we invest our efforts? I remember many years ago being in Cambodia and meeting a young woman um, uh, who was about, Sopiane was her name, and she was about 14 at the time. And uh, we got to, to know each other. This uh, director introduced me to about six young women who were sitting outside the one high school in this village of about 85,000 people. It was a big, big area, not a village, but a big, big, big area with many villages in it. And she said, yeah, well, you know what will happen is I'm going to reach a certain grade and then my parents will no longer be able to afford to send me to school and my, and my brother will get to go to school and I won't. And, and, and she, because, you know, let's send the boy to school because that's just what we do. And I don't know, it just, it seems like we're so far away from realizing that this gender uh, inequality or inequity is, is something that uh, really does make a difference, if that makes any sense to you at all. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to agree. Unfortunately, that is still the case that, yeah, men run the world in that sense. You know? I... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm still trying. I'm still trying to figure how to do that. How to do that? Yeah. 
I don't know. Like I, that that reminds me a story when actually when when we went to implement the the project in Celion, I supposed to stay there six weeks, but one of the this local partner, this director of the organization I just mentioned, he so much inspired me that I actually stayed in Celion and I started to work for his hospital. And I remember a day when. Um, when we were building uh, a storage and uh, basically I had the workers like 15 men and we support supposed to put some shelves in place and I was in charge of that that work and I went there and I said okay guys uh, we have to put these shelves here and some of them wanted to put nails in the wall and I was really against that and I said no we cannot do that because it will destroy the the, the, the whole wall and they said, no, we're going to do that because we think it's a good decision. And I was like, no, we're clearly not going to do that. And they said, like, you are a woman and you don't understand anything. And you're a white woman. So, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And then it ended up that I had to go upstairs to find somebody in the office, a man uh, who's like my co-worker, and say to him, like, I'm sorry, you have to tell this man exactly what I say. So that's the irony of life. So we were standing like these three parties me, this co-worker, and this uh, group of people. And I would say to the co-worker, no, we cannot put the walls, uh, the nails in the wall. And he would say that exactly the same notes, no, we cannot put the, <laughs> the nails in the wall. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think I think anyone who's worked in a in in uh, the majority world anywhere, you know, has has got a story or two like that. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, well, before I forget, I, I've been making some notes here. What... Why do you think you do what you do? So, you know, earlier on you talked about pure business and I asked you a little bit about, you know, you know, you, you've asked the question, is there another way? You didn't really like the whole notion of going into the business. You wanted to change the world. Why do you think you, you, you want to do that? Is it, was there an experience in your, in your childhood? Uh, does it have something to do with your upbringing? Um, just always interested to know what the catalyst is as well for people. Mm. Well... The biggest desire, I guess, was to travel because I come. I come actually from a very small village, and all my family are animal doctors. And I grew up in a farm, and nobody ever traveled. And I said, like, no, I, I would like to travel. And they were like, okay, we really don't understand this concept, but if you think you can find a way to do that, then okay, go for it. And my way was that, like, I thought, okay, maybe I can do it through education. And uh, it just happened I got a scholarship to study business. Like initially I would study something else like theater or some arts or something creative. And I found out that I'm really good with the management, you know, just making things done, finding where the gaps are and making things done. And that's actually a very good quality for business. But I thought, okay, maybe I can apply it somewhere else. And this, this has led me through all life. Like I, I see a problem and I kind of like to sort it out. And I guess it comes from my parents because, you know, as an animal doctor, like all you do is you help somebody who is in need, like a, like a little one, like an animal. <laughs> so it, it just... 